This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, no PMQs because the Commons is... Swearing in again. Uh, so there won't be uh, PMQs unpacked until October the 12th when you can come and see us doing it live. We're going to the Cheltenham Literature Festival, sponsored by the Times and the Sunday Times. And you can come and see me, Patrick Maguire, and Lucy Fisher doing PMQs unpacked live in front of an audience of hundreds. Uh, so if you want to get tickets to that, go to uh, CheltenhamFestivals.com, CheltenhamFestivals.com. Have a search on there. Uh, search for politics without the boring bits, I think, and you'll be able to find tickets. It'll be great to see. So uh, coming up on the podcast today, as ever, on a Wednesday, if you don't have PMQs, we've got Dish United Kingdom. Before that, though, it's time for The Columnists. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yeah, nice to have them both here in the studio. Robert Crampton, morning. Morning, Matt. And Alice Thompson, how are you? Uh, how are we both all coping with the threat of nuclear war? Who wants to go first? I, I find it rather extraordinary because it's, it's what we all worried about when we were little, didn't we? Mm. I mean, it's, we're so old now, obviously, because we now know all much younger, yeah, you are much younger than us. Um, I did in my childhood. I was terrified of the sort of nuclear mushroom, and then it dissipated, and and now it's back again. I think there is a real sense of threat now with. The referendum with Putin mm. talking about mobilisation. Mobilisation is a very um, loaded word because mm-hmm. it does feel like war. Yeah, yeah. He's called up three hundred thousand uh, reservists, and uh, and he's talking about. Uh, I mean, he's he's going to obviously try and pose uh, as Russia itself, the Russian te- Russian territory itself being uh, at, uh, under threat. Can take get these referendum out of the way, just declare it Russian territory, and then say. Uh, Mother Russia is being attacked, and he said, "Defend it by any means necessary." I mean, I think, yeah, it sounds like they're going to use tactical nuclear weapons at some stage. I mean, I do you think that's going to yes, happen? Yes, that seems to be the. Or yeah. well, he's at least, you know, and he's boasting, "I've got, yeah. I've, I've got great weapons. Some of my weapons are even yeah. better than your yes. weapons." Yeah, and also, you he, then get that split, don't you, between America, Britain, Europe, at that sense that, that the coalition's not going to last if everyone's worried in different reasons, different ways, and you feel that Liz Truss mm. is definitely much more gung ho than. Yeah, and the Americans are, and it is back to the eighties in a way because then, then there was rather than the kind of threat of absolute Armageddon, there was the, with the cruise missiles and the SS twenties that were around then. There was a feeling that they would be used in a in a small way if a nuclear weapon can ever be used in a small way, and that looks to me 
like that's probably what's going to happen. Sort of like paving the way for that. I think so because they're losing, aren't they? They're yeah. losing, and uh, he's if if you've got the you know history tells us that if you most weapons if you've got them they, they get they end up getting used. <laughs> but it was interesting because um, William Hague in his column yesterday in the Times talking about the options that Putin had sort of laid out three, and he's managed to do two of them. Yeah. So the third option was to call it a day retreat, live to fight another few, you know, fight again in the future. He's clearly not doing that one. So as William laid it out, his first option is the full mobilisation of Russia's economy and society for all-out conventional war, which basically seems to be the path he's on, you know, the mm. mobilisation of the reserves. But interestingly, he made the point that the evidence that young Russians don't want to be conscripted to fight is very strong. So that in, that could possibly backfire. Yeah, but he's not yeah. mobilising conscripts or students. He's, yeah. mo he's mobilising uh, reservists, like yeah. pe people who have been professional, already professional sort of soldiers and who've gone in reserve. Crossed that, that mental line. Yeah. And then the second uh, possibility is laid out by William Hague is, is th to threaten to employ demonstrate or actually use weapons of mass destruction such as a tactical nuclear device. Mm. William Hague described it as the craziest option. But, I mean, Putin's clearly now a man who's crazy. And we know he's going to do that, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that, that, you know, he's prepared to do it. That's, that's the issue here, is that we're not dealing with someone who, you know, is rational or reasonable in the same way. That, and there will be escalation. And we're all looking the other way. So I think the problem about Europe is that, that, that it's not focused on this enough. I mean, in Britain, we're not focused. We've just had a huge <coughs> funeral war being... It's very retrospective mm -hmm. in many ways. And I think now we've got huge issues to deal with and a new prime minister who's pretty green. Pretty green and, and doesn't have a lot of obvious allies on the international stage. I mean, Boris Johnson had his own issues, you know, at least mm. because of Brexit and that, that caused issues in Europe. But, you know, well, she, she wouldn't say that... Manuel Macron was a friend. That's extraordinary, yeah. Uh, she's, she seems to be at odds with Joe Biden on well, he's just, most things. Well, he's just... I mean, that may be coincidental, but he's just slapped down, trickle down economics. Yeah, the, 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 that, I mean, that tweet... I, mean, I, I think, I it, think, was it, probably I think it probably was coincidental, because I don't think that Joe Biden is monitoring Liz Truss's economic policy probably very that closely. Uh, but he but tweeted, I'm more, sick yeah. and tired of trickle-down economics. It's never worked. Yeah. Just as Liz Truss mm. is essentially about to embark on that experiment. Well, that's the only justification for lifting the, lifting the lid on bankers' bonuses, isn't it? It's saying that every, you know, everyone further down benefits in the end. But more importantly is the free, is the free trade deal, uh, which is now not, he's now said is not going to happen for years, which was, I think, only two or three years ago as Chief Secretary to the Treasury. She was saying that was the kind of... That was the uh, jewel in the crown of... Uh, of, of post-Brexit freedom, yeah. wasn't it? it? Was the free trade deal with America, which is now not going to happen for a long time. So yeah, she doesn't. She needs to do some some uh, bridge building. The UN. But given that you know, and she's committed to spending lots of money on uh, Ukraine as much as much next year, if not more than than this year. So in that sense, Boris Johnson going hasn't you know changed. No, if our anything, policy. she may be more gung ho than he yeah. was. I think. Mm. But, but there's been gung ho. You know, uh, in your oratory and your checkbook, but is there a you know an ability to build an alliance? Because like you were saying, there's a danger that the, for different reasons, different countries might might fragment a bit on their their. I their think they commitment. will. I mean, you look at Germany, and they're going through very similar problems and issues, mm -hmm. and they are much more divided. I mean, they've always been more divided about Russia than we've been anyway. So you've got an issue there. You've got an, an issue with America who actually isn't being nearly as tough as Liz Truss is. Mm. And I think she's going to find it very difficult if she goes around the world, she's, if she's trying to, you know, get an alliance together. And I'm not, I'm not sure she, they actually trust her in any way at mm. all. She's yet. also going to find it difficult domestically because there's the money that the war, that the, the war is costing us just in shipping the arms, but then there's also the money that people are going to start to feel in terms yeah. of fuel bills. And she's going, there will be domestic pressures, you know, how much do we, how much, we think, we say we're bothered about Ukraine in the summer, but 
how much are we going to be bothered about Ukraine in February? Yeah, and the Ukraine fatigue, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, that actually requires mounting quite a big, complex argument about how, you know, the the the, chal- the the sort of geopolitical challenges and how we're paying a price for that, but we're all in this together and, you know, around the world everyone's yeah. doing the same. Yeah, and, 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 and it doesn't and, feel and like John, she's currently. No, Johnson was quite good at doing yeah. that, and and she hasn't she hasn't done that. We'll see. Uh, see and we definitely she's... saw that certainly in focus groups, yeah. where people would say, you know, I don't like Boris Johnson because of X and Y, but yeah. he's doing very well on Ukraine. And he had a historical hinterland. That was mm. the, the worry for Liz Truss. Is you you do feel that she she may not understand all these issues. That well, at least at least with Boris Johnson, when he got it wrong, you did feel he knew historically what. What, what had happened and what uh, well, preceded it, us. It played into his Churchill tribute mm. act as exactly. well, didn't it? But yeah, uh, exactly. And it clearly, you know, yeah. it clearly worked. And when he went and saw um, Zelensky, you know, there was clearly a, yeah. a human connection there. Although oh. Liz Truss is the same with her tribute act with Margaret Thatcher, that you feel it's yeah. like she she is gearing up for a Falklands moment, isn't yeah. she? And that, but yeah. it's not the Falklands, it's, it's Russia. Not the, it's, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. It's not the Argentinians. You're not fighting the Argentinians. No. Uh, if, yeah, yeah. Things could get slightly more out of hand than they that. could, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it pans out. We might not be here next week, but no. hopefully, hopefully, we will be. Uh, Alice, let's talk about your column today. Uh, class war. It's interesting. This. Go on. Explain. Explain what you've. Uh... So I was just talking about it because there's so many films and dramas yeah, and plays really. at the moment that are about class warfare, and it started off um, really, I think, with Squid Game and with um, sort of Korean dramas which are very much about the sort of not upsets downsets much more about um people who are basically as, as they see it sort of servants who are then oh, overcome yeah, yeah. and paradise you mentioned uh, as well is that the yes yeah. so there's there are lots of different ones and then it went yeah. on to white lotus which is mm. also about people who are super rich in what's meant to be paradise in uh hawaii and actually they all end up it was so each good other. That. And it is brilliant because it makes yeah, yeah. you never want to go to a luxury <laughs> hotel. Yeah. Uh, Having always thought it'd be nice to go to one of those hotels, wouldn't so, it? Yeah, it's no. anti-aspirational. It's basically saying you do not want to be rich. And this yeah. has carried on. And we've now got a whole series of films coming out that are going to be the same. And they've been very well received at Cannes. <laughs> and it's all about how sort of either they're murderers, the super rich, or they're having a terrible time, or they're vomiting everywhere. There's one brilliant yeah. one when they just keep throwing up. They're all, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there is this sense that you don't want to be rich, A, and B, they're very, very nasty self-obsessed, self-interested people. And we used to have Downton Abbey, which was much more gentle. And even Ab Fab was kind of okay with having the sort of bolly and the, you know, coke. And, and yeah. I think now we're yeah. much, um, it's, it's a much nastier tone and it is almost class warfare. And I think you can understand why, because you've got a cost of living crisis and you see Liz Truss is giving more and more ostensibly to the rich because she says it will trickle down, but they don't see that. So it does feel quite class warfare. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been going on a while longer than... I can't remember the last time that a really rich person was sympathetically portrayed <laughs> on, on camera or on stage. But Hugh Bonneville all. used to be. Now I he's guess, going to be yeah. a really nice one. Then, you know, Paddington, right. he was quite a nice right. sort of yeah, person yeah, yeah. who lived in Notting Hill, middle class. Dad. The, the Downton Abbey thing, they were sort of very... Oh, enough, they looked after the staff yeah, and the village. It was, it was, it was paternalism, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they weren't mega rich, actually. But anyway, that's splitting hairs. It was yes, it was it was sort of Tory, yeah, yeah. Tory paternalism. But now they've turned into mass murderers, which is and now you know, Hugh, quite a jump. Hugh Bonneville is a mass murderer mm. is a, is a stretch, <laughs> but yeah, I take your point. That's 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 a, that's a development, isn't it? If you look at his career arc. And what um, uh, <laughs> do you think is partly because um, uh, I don't know. Part of me was sort of thinking: is there a risk that we sort of end up just sort of accepting our lot? Is there is the or does it does it actually fuel anger? Is it is it is the outcome think, that we think, well, we don't want that? No, I think... Or do we end up... Mm. D- does it cause a sort of no, uprising? No, I think it's, 
part of it is anti-aspirational and saying yeah, actually yeah. the rich have a really horrible time. And you think that actually they're rather sort of, you know, they're all backbiting and nasty and mean and horrible to each other. But at the same <coughs> time, I think you, it's anti-aspirational because people know they're not going to make it. So I think now that it's so difficult to do well, to get on the property ladder. Yeah, yeah. You know, even to have children and, you know, all that childcare, everything. And you see people having nannies and staff. And and so I think there is that sense that people are really yeah. angry that they're never going to get there. There's no sense of aspiration among the, the wealth, young in that way. Wealth gap has been growing for a long, long time, you know, and it's the it's payback. I mean, there's yeah, going to yeah. be there's a point where people, we saw it during the pandemic where you think, well, there's one set of rules for them and one mm. for the rest of us. And people making fortunes out of PPE without, yeah. and without apparently no real qualifications for, for doing it, other than knowing the right people. And people just get angry. You can't, yeah. you can't, it doesn't you, feel meritocratic. You and can't then they're not. do it forever. But, well, someone just think of the bankers and their bonuses. Don't they need, don't they need bigger bonuses? Well, Danny Finkelstein, uh, our esteemed colleague yeah. and, and uh, peer, was... Uh, was arguing. I usually agree with Danny. Yeah. He, was, he was arguing that in his column this morning. I usually agree with Danny on most things. But I was struggling uh, this morning. I was struggling. I mean, as he said, that's the economic consequence of Brexit. You've got mm. to go for it. Uh, you've got to go for a uh, deregulation and you've got to attract uh, those kind of businesses. But uh, the, as, he, as Danny said, the politics of it are awful. And the politics, yeah, I mean, the politics of giving bankers bigger bonuses uh, now is... I mean, it's dreadful. Yeah. It is, I mean, people are really struggling. So there's that sense that, you know, when you go on EasyJet and you get the speedy boarding, that's fine. Yeah. That's sort of acceptable, even though it's irritating. Yeah. This is on a completely different yeah, scale. Yeah, this yeah. is millions and millions. And it's the same with stamp duty, that stamp mm. duty will end up being helpful to people who already have houses. And and all the people who haven't got anywhere and aren't on the property ladder are going to be struggling again. So you don't get any yeah. sense this is going to trickle down at all. You just feel that, like, the richest and the best off are going to do better. And that's often the elderly as well. So I think well, the young thing, are just totally... Uh, the, 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 on the stamp duty question, I, gen I, I tweeted this last time when I saw the front page of the Times. Mm. I genuinely don't understand how this helps the economy. No, it makes it... Puts, uh, it it's supposed to get people who are sitting on uh, million-pound houses who are maybe elderly or yeah. know, getting that moving, but... I'm not sure how nothing that will get that moving. The thing is, you know, if what we should do is make it easier for people sitting on billions yeah. of pounds to unlock that without paying yeah. a few thousand pounds. And we pounds. need to build more houses. I mean, that's the problem. Is that actually exactly in the end, it's all about I building thought more trickle houses. down economics was uh, the 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 replacement word for that. But they started mm. using in in uh, uh, under Ronald Reagan was they started talking about supply side reform mm. because that mm -hmm. sounded slightly better and a bit more. You know, clever. And supply so far means building more houses, not mm. stoking the housing market. And what's extraordinary is that Liz Truss thinks that she's going to have a big enough electorate at the next mm. election because actually, you know, the stamp duty is not going to help very many people. It's going to help their core people who would vote yeah. Tory pretty much anyway, I think. And it will make a few people feel better off. But the most of the country aren't going to feel any better off at all after this. The other one is that uh, was usually wheeled out is a rising tide floats all mm. boats. Mm. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm skeptical about that as well because I think there's a whole section of people in this in this country. And I'm, and to be fair to him, Johnson was onto this with the levelling up agenda, which we haven't really heard much of. Yeah. Under trust, who are just detached and increasingly detached from wider society, and uh, they can't can't mm. see what's in the what's what's in these measures for them. 
I mean, that's the problem is that I think with the, the former Tory prime ministers, at least they all tried, and George Osborne, mm. they would all say we're all in this together. Yes, you said that or in Boris your piece. Or Boris Johnson yeah, would say levelling up. And, or, the, and Theresa, Theresa May talked about the burning, burning injustices. Yeah. And you don't feel with Liz Truss, she's bothering to even no. attempt to say she's going to do anything for the people. No, she's apart just... Apart from just a, wait and see. It's a dash for... It's a go for growth, dash for growth. Like because, seen because in the early 70s. Just wanted to be judged by GDP, yeah. regardless of who it is who enjoys the benefits of that. Well, that's and, the, and regardless of its effect on the environment, because that's the other, that's the yeah. other issue, is, is, is high growth is, uh, is, is long associated with... Uh, Poor results for the environment because you just, you, you, you know, I mean... And we have some of the no... richest people in Europe now. So, as yeah. Australians, we are literally at the top for the richest mm. people. But we are yeah. also near the bottom, yeah. or 15th for the poorest. That stat that you said, by 2024, an average British household is going to be worse off than the average Slovenian. Was it Slovenian or Polish, Slovakian? yes. And then Slo and we've also yeah. got the Slovakian. So we'll, yeah. Well, I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I can't see how net zero is going to survive this, can you? If she's if she's really going to go, if, that, if the if the if, number if, one aim is economic growth, then doesn't then yeah. it goes out the window, doesn't it? And the thing is, a whole load of things like you know, I, I'm not sure it'll politically be a good idea, but you know, tearing up loads of employment law in the order to that, get you know employers to basically exploit their workers, get more out of them. I can see the, yeah, you know the argument that for made, that. That made my the stamp duty thing. I just don't. Uh, that's, yeah. that, I, just, well, I don't quite right. see where it's. Sort and of there is going to be an election in a couple of years, and people are going to be yeah, looking yeah. at what it. What frightened and me was when I saw a headline saying a bonfire of uh, of health and safety mm. control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and I think well, those are really hard won reforms. You know, people do not now die in industrial accidents at a rate in which they used to. Yeah. Uh, and if you get rid of those uh, that you know that health and safety culture much derided, then people start to die again. Yeah, again. Yeah. And uh, but that's ultimately, I think, and I'm going to talk to Gerald Lyons about this in about an hour, because I think there's a really interesting question about, is the purpose of the government just the economy? Yeah. Or is it to look after the people who live in the country? The second And one. those two things the are, second one. you fact, know, they appear to be overemphasising the first at the expense of the second. if you're conservative, you're not supposed to think the government's that bothered with the economy anyway. You're mm. the, 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 purpose, you know, the economy is supposed to sort itself yeah. out. I think the yeah. Nordic <laughs> countries are what the young are going to start looking at, because they do look increasingly attractive. So they look at them and they've got, you know, the... the the worst off in the Nordic countries yeah, yeah. are actually still pretty well off, and they are, you know, they're at the top of the league in Europe, and they just mm. do seem to have a more relaxed yeah. lifestyle. Although Sweden's just lurched to the right, hasn't it? I think that's true. Yeah, I think. What's something to look forward to? Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there, and of course you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Box. Up next is Dish United Kingdom. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. 
Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the week where we bring you political news from the four corners of the UK... And we continue our hunt for the most fun, uh, the most fun part of the country, uh, as our panel each have to bring in a story. It's like show and tell. They have to bring in a story from their part of the country, and then I award points because I'm in charge. So, who is today's panel? Uh, flying the flag for Northern Ireland, Kiva Queen is from our sister station, U105 in Belfast. Hi, Kiva. Hi. How are you? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Up in Scotland, Helen Puttock is a health reporter for the Times in Scotland. Hi, Helen. Hello, good morning. Morning to you in Wales. We've got journalist Liz Perkins. Hi, Liz. Hi, how are you doing? Not not too bad. And uh, flying the flag for England and the best part of England too. Uh, Southwest reporter for the Times, Will Humphreys is there. Hi, Will. I mean, it's the best part of the country, but... Uh, Hi there, Matt. Oh, fine. I was going to blame the uh, slow broadband <laughs> in the Southwest. But I think it was actually you just... Two and a half years into this, you still uh, had yourself on mute. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Well, in fact, we'll start with you in that case. Will, uh, what's the um, what's the picture in the southwest? In particular, you've been looking. There's been some warnings about inflation. The impact inflation's having on the region. Yeah. So we often hear about the sort of the big picture of inflation affecting sort of central government, but um, there's a big warning being put out in the west of England that um, £11 million is going to be wiped out from public service investment because of rising inflation. And that sort of is really affecting things on the ground, like um, supported bus services, a planned reopening of a railway line, um, uh, repairing roads and infrastructure. So it's this kind of day-to-day stuff that we often don't really think about. But all these investment plans that councils have been sort of putting in place are looking very shaky now with, with inflation rising. Uh, and what? how is that sort of playing out in uh, in real life in the in the region, Will? So in Bristol in particular, there, there's a big regeneration plan for the sort of Temple Quarter, which is a, a sort of shopping area that's sort of getting a bit run down and they, they want to do this great new um, reinvestment there. That is now sort of, the budgets for that is getting really stretched and they you know these things always run over budget they always run over time and there's just no headroom for any of that now um same thing with a, a railway line they want to reopen in the Hembury area of the city that is looking like uh it's sort of under threat um and then and then the day-to-day things for sort of the lowest uh, earners in the country uh, and in this part of the country is the bus services are really really under threat at the moment there's supported bus um, services, some are going to have to be axed, the councils believe, just to, to keep up with, with rising costs. Because I suppose the cost of running them has gone up, but the ability of people using them to pay more uh, probably hasn't. I just wonder if anyone else um, on the panel has, has come across sort of similar things in your patch uh, to, the, to what Will's talking about. No, everything's fine. <laughs> well, in fact, let's talk. Uh, let's stick with the economy. Let's go to Wales. Liz Perkins. There's a story about one way of generating some money that could be spent on uh, on big projects in Wales is taxing tourists. Well, yes, 
but it, it's just, it's just quite a causing quite a row because it's not about just taxing tourists. It's about taxing Welsh people who decide that maybe they want to spend the weekend in Cardiff or Pembrokeshire or whatever. So if you stay overnight um, in a different, say, hotel or guest house in the future, you may have to pay this tax that is meant to be ploughed into keeping beaches and pavements clean and maintaining local parks and footpaths. I mean, I actually thought that that was the whole purpose of council tax, really. But um, yes, the Welsh Government have launched a public consultation on this and um, looking at charging for that in the future, I mean, depending on what the Welsh public says, but it's something that they are looking to do against the backdrop of Westminster going the other way and shaking up the tax system. So it's kind of a quite interesting times to see whether or not this actually definitely goes through. And how much would it would it cost? Because I've, I've, I've first we've recently booked a trip to um to New York, and one of the things really surprised me when you sort of factor in, okay, well, that's what the flights are going to cost, what the hotels going to cost. There's like hundreds of pounds uh, for you know family four, almost four five days we're going for, and it's you know it, it's, it's a it's a big old chunk of your your budget. But I mean you know set against the cost of the flight, you know it's not uh you know the flights and the hotel obviously a lot more. But you wouldn't want to I wouldn't necessarily want to pay hundreds of pounds for extra to for a few nights to go to Wales. No, exactly. In the nicest I mean, possible way. No, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the Welsh Government is saying it's going to be a small charge. And I think the problem with all of this is that there is no detail at all. It's literally, oh, yes, we're going to consult you about this possibility, but we're not going to really say who's actually, you know, going to roll this out properly and who's, you know, how much you're going to get charged. And you've already got local authorities saying, actually, we're not interested. So I don't really know how this is going to work, to be honest, if it does come into effect, because you could go to some part of Wales to say, you know what, we're not going to bother charging anybody. So I guess it means that more people will probably go to, say, somewhere like Pembrokeshire than maybe the Gower, you know, because depending on what their local authority decides. So we'll see how it works or not works. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that's the thing. Unless maybe the whole of the U, weirdly, unless the whole of the UK does it, it becomes, um, you know, it's slightly problematic because, like, Will, I know you yeah. you were looking at this for the Times, you know, exactly that could be a boom for the southwest if Wales suddenly makes it more expensive to go there. Well, exactly. You've got you've got Scotland who are looking to do this as well. Edinburgh are very keen to introduce this. You've got different parts of Wales that may want to to bring it in. I mean, I spoke to the Welsh um, uh, Tourist Attractions Association yesterday. They are absolutely dead set against this, um, mm -hmm. and they say based on where this is done in Europe, it's quite a widespread thing in Europe, places like Barcelona and Venice. Um, if you were to have four or five days, say in Tenby, if the local authority brought it in there, for a family four, it could be an extra 70 quid to your holiday. So for some people, that is a big increase in their in their yeah. spending. They're on mm -hmm. a tight budget. Uh, and and Helen, in um in Scotland, I know in Edinburgh they talked about doing it, but there is it was it two pounds a night? Which again is then we were saying that starts even that starts adding up, but also you know, two pounds, it just seems really sort of it's that sort of amount of money which is both there's the financial impact, but it's also just really annoying. You know, if you get your bill and you thought, well, that's what I thought I was paying per night and I've worked it all out. So what, what the hell's this? Where's this? It's like when you get um, delivery charges when you've bought some tickets online and they're going to give you the ticket. Why am I paying more for them to be delivered? And is that, yeah. why, is that why they sort of rode back from it a bit in Scotland? I think as well, and it's like the no-frills airlines, isn't it? When you think you've paid the price of your ticket, it's a great bargain, and then you've got to add your luggage on top, and, you know, if you actually want to see on the seat and a seat belt. Yeah, exactly. 
So, um, yeah, and you can see that the timing is really bad, isn't it? Because everyone is kind of glancing at the cost of living crisis and wondering what the winter is going to be like for them. You know, even if you're a little less worried about your energy bills right now, you're still noticing the supermarket that the chicken wings you bought last week are suddenly a lot more. And, uh, you know, then, then everything gets put into that mix, doesn't it? How much you spend on a holiday and the thought that it's going to get even more expensive might put you off going somewhere. And what, has there been any talk of doing this in... Uh, I, mean, I know you can't really do anything at the moment, Kiva, because you still haven't got a government in uh, Stormont. But is, but is there... Actually, uh, the, the sort of the, the tour... I feel like I hear a lot more about the tourism in Northern... Maybe it's just from doing this, uh, from doing Dishy Dodds. There's always sort of, you know, tourism stories and try to attract films to go there to sort of, uh, you know, sell Northern Ireland around the world. Has there been, ever been ever discussion about taxing tourists there? Um, I haven't heard anything like that at the moment. There seems to be a lot of investment into our um, film industry here. I know yesterday we announced a £25 million um, project that's going to be opening in 2024, and it's this new virtual state-of-the-art production studio for film. So I think we are kind of taking the approach of trying to get the film industry really to continue and to boom here and to yeah. keep drawing in tourists as opposed to maybe putting people off. <laughs> what a radical idea of attracting people rather than uh, hitting them with extra costs. Uh, while, I'm, while I'm with you then, uh, Kiva, we should talk uh, talk politics. Chris Heaton-Harris, the new Northern Ireland Secretary, has been meeting uh, political leaders there to try and discuss getting power showing back up off the ground. Any sign of any progress? Yeah, I mean, if we weren't going through so many new... Um... Secretary of State, I don't think there would actually be a new line on the political stalemate here. <laughs> it's been ongoing from the start of the year now, and the latest news on it is Chris Heaton Harris obviously came over yesterday because he had offended a few of the main political parties. He'd met with the two top parties last week, Sinn Fein and the DUP, and had to, of course, come back this week then to speak to the other three parties, Alliance, SDLP and the UUP. So he said that the prospect of him calling a pre-Christmas assembly election to restore power sharing is not an idle threat. That came after our Ulster Unionist party leader, Doug Beattie, said it would be diabolical to hold such um, an election amid a cost of living crisis because, of course, the DUP are being heavily criticised by the other political parties for pulling this boycott over the Northern Ireland Protocol effectively, breaking down our power sharing institutions. When people, you know, can't afford to heat their homes and put food on the table, and without a functioning executive, our hands are tied on what we can do to help people at the moment. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, there is a there is a, a sitting government in uh, in Scotland, um, but uh, the the best story to come out of Scotland in a very long time is uh, by our colleague uh, Kieran Andrews. Um, uh, Helen, explain what. <laughs> It's nothing to do with the government, it's to do with the uh, the opposition. Douglas yeah. Ross trumpeting he'd hired a hot new high-flying hotshot political operative and got one over on one of his political rivals. Explain this story in all its glory. Yeah, so this um, uh, this chap called Craig Patterson was um, hired to be a close aide, apparently, to Douglas Ross, the Tory party leader up here. And um, Ross sent out an, um, an email on Friday saying this chap arrives with extensive knowledge of Scottish politics, having once been a key part of Scottish Labour's operations. He'd uh, said apparently he'd worked for Jim Murphy, who was a former leader of Scottish Labour. 
anyway, um, it transpires that Scottish Labour then had to speak to Douglas Ross and his team and say, well, actually, we're not sure about all these claims. Um, Jim Murphy said he hadn't knowingly met um, Craig Patterson and uh, certainly didn't think he'd ever employed him. Uh, so the, the job offer appears to have been withdrawn. Uh, apparently it was due to start on Monday. So they now have a, a vacancy, um, which perhaps they were struggling to fill in the first place. So uh, I must admit, I have a little bit of sympathy here with the Conservatives having recently been conned by a fake website and uh, had to rapidly claw my money back from the bank. I mean, it's quite nice to think we can take people on trust. Um, on the other hand, of course, it does uh, raise questions about you know, the verification processes that the Conservatives had in place. This guy had been through a couple of rounds of interviews, for example, um, and, and uh, the potential issues hadn't been picked up. You'd have thought a light Google would uh, would suffice. I mean, particularly on this show, all the time we'll be sat there thinking, "Oh, we want to do," so, you know, we we might think we want to do something on uh, uh, Jim Murphy, maybe, and we'll try and we'll do a bit of googling, see people who work for him. You know, somebody's name comes up, did they work for you? It's it's not that difficult, you know, because of our obsession with spads and advisors and that sort of thing. Um, quite often, quite often people do do you know that this is this yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing story. I mean, but is everything all right now, Helen, with your, with your um, having been ripped off or cheated? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I managed to stop £23,000 being taken out of the bank account yesterday. So Wow. Yes. <laughs> well, that's good news. There well, wasn't 23000 there to begin with, I hasten to add. <laughs> It's up to you, Helen. You know, we know, we know that you know that the the, uh, the the Scottish wing of the Times is where all the money is. <laughs> <laughs> hollow laugh. The hollow laugh there, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, let's move on because I've got some other uh, stories I want to get through. Um, uh, let's talk plastics, uh, Liz. Uh, as well as uh, um, taking action on tourists, Wales also taking action on plastics. Yeah, it's been hailed as a big moment for Wales, this, um, that a bill banning single-use plastics is due to be um, going in front of the Senate. Actually, I know the tourist tax was not a great thing, but I do think that trying to do something about the environment is obviously important. And in, going forward, it could see people who are trying to dish out these um, single-use carrier bags being fined and, and told before the court. So we really are taking it that seriously. Um, you know, obviously, Sir David Attenborough has drawn attention to the major issues around plastic use and ending up in the ocean. And it's just, you know, the Welsh government want to do something about the, you know, the problem with plastics in the countryside and obviously yeah. wildlife being affected. So, you know, clearly we've led the way in terms of charging for these carrier bags and hopefully in the future people will also follow us on this as well because it is really important yeah no absolutely and i suppose it's another sign of you know different parts of the uk moving in different directions at different different speeds uh just finally will i wanted to talk to you about roy hackett's because uh well regulars will know last year we did a, well, we did a whole show from bristol we looked at sort of the history of protests in bristol partly because of what happened with the Coulson statue but it, you know it wasn't unusual bristol has this sort of long tradition um but explain who roy hackett was and and, and the fact that you know he, he recently sadly died yeah so it was roy hackett's funeral um just past weekend so slightly overshadowed by the queen's passing unfortunately but uh, he, he was basically one of the, the greatest civil rights campaigners in britain's modern history really he was one of uh, four west indian men in bristol who took on the bristol bus company who at the time had a ban on any colored people um, working as bus conductors or drivers. Um, and uh, these um, West Indian men, 
basically led a months long um, boycott of the Bristol bus company, forced them after several months to back down and agree to employ um, coloured people. And it won the support of Harold Macmillan, who at the time was leader of the opposition um, and the local MP, Tony Benn. And when Labour then got into power in the 60s, um, they influenced the, the forming of the first race relations acts in 1965 and 68, which was the first time in British history that it was sort of uh, criminalised um, discrimination by race in the workplace, in public life. They, they had this huge, huge um, influence on, on, you know, all our lives. And um, they themselves were, were very influenced by Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycotts. Yeah. And, and this was our sort of UK version, really. That was, it's the thing that really, really strikes me, particularly haven't, you know, grown up in Somerset, and I knew the story a little bit, and we, we, we looked at it into more detail last, last year. It's sort of amazing that probably far more people in this country know about Rosa Parks than anything that took place in this country, even though it's had sort of more direct impact on, on people living here. Now it's time for my favourite part of this United Kingdom, where everyone brings in a story and I award points as we try to find the most fun part of the UK. Oh, actually, I need to get up the uh, get up the spreadsheet. Here we are. So who is currently in the lead on the Dish United Kingdom scores spreadsheets? So in the lead at the moment with 73 points, Scotland. Well, England have got 71 uh, Northern Ireland 68 and Wales on 64. So, let's start in Wales then. Liz Perkins, you, you you need you need the points here. What have you got for us? Well, I know it's been a sad week with the death of the Queen, but King Charles has been keeping everybody entertained with his pen disasters. So, obviously, we saw him in London looking very unhappy that his um, ink pot was not swept away by an aide on time. He went to Northern Ireland and again had more problems um, with a leaky pen. So he headed to Wales on Friday and um, one of the crowd who was waiting for hours turned around him and gave him a pen, a posh pen from the Hilton that wouldn't explode. And she said, oh, here you go, just in case. And now, he hang on, hang on, Liz, Liz I have to take issue with your description of it being a posh pen from the Hilton. Look, they're never going to give a rubbish she, pen, especially with the tourists. She stole a biro from a hotel and gave it to the king, is what you're saying. She gave it to the king and it had the Hilton emblazed on it. And I he suppose... thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I suppose it's, it is better than it being, you know, like an Argos pen. We don't get them anymore, do you, exactly. Argos? No, you have for the screens. You can't, you know, you can't get a pen from there anymore. And it wasn't like one of those on a chain that she ripped out from the bank. So, I mean, it, no, I quite exactly. liked it. I quite liked it. And he took it in good heart and smiled. He did. So that was nice. He did. It gave him a moment of laughter in a tough week. Is there we go. Say. Exactly. So that's a nice thing. We like the pen. Right. Uh, so uh, next, let's go to, uh, let's go to Northern Ireland. Kiva, what have you got for us? Um, I haven't actually got a funny story, but I did have a feel-good story that we reported on um, a few days ago. It was about a missing dog in North Belfast that was reunited with its owner after almost a year of going missing. So Coco, the Chihuahua Jack Russell, was found in a property 13 months after originally being reported missing from his home, and he was reunited with the owner, Chelsea, on her 13th birthday last week. Now, you know how to game this uh, contest by bringing me a dog story. How many miles from home was it? Um, they were originally from South Belfast and the dog went missing and it was relocated beside them in North Belfast last week. See, that's so nice. yeah, from one end of the city to the other. And the dog's all fine? Dog's fine, yep, happy to be home. <laughs> See, that's exactly the sort of thing that's going to get you points, uh, you cynical. 
uh, player. Right. Uh, what about in uh, what have you got for us in Scotland, Helen? Yeah, not necessarily hilarious, but um, have you have you ever heard of a honeyberry? Um, it looks a bit like a blueberry. I checked this morning, and it's kind of an it's kind of an elongated blueberry, and um, it's apparently the foundation of a gin made by Eden Mill Distillery up in St Andrews. Um, and the significance of this gin is that it's a tie-in with with the chef Gordon Ramsay. Anyway, Eden Mill were apparently extremely excited about this tie-in and also extremely excited about their honeyberries. Uh, so much so that they use social media to boast about the antioxidant properties of their honeyberries being greater than blueberries and more potassium than bananas, more vitamin C than oranges. Um, and, and basically, in a, a sort of subtle way, we're implying that the gin and tonics made with their gin <laughs> might actually be extremely good for you. Um, which the Advertising Standards Authority ha have ruled they shouldn't have done. And um, the adverts, which were apparently um, taken down quite quickly from social media anyway, ha have obviously been ruled unacceptable. Uh, so there we go. Um, yeah. Sadly, gin and tonic is not um, the new health food. Well, as a fan of a gin and tonic, I'm very disappointed that you, as a health reporter, Helen, are bringing me this news. I'd much prefer if it was the opposite. So I think that might that might get you marked down. Uh, let's. Uh, what have you got for us uh, for the southwest, Will? Well, I've learned uh, through past experience about your love of animal stories. Yes, Matt. correct. Um, we have Paynton Zoo in Devon. Um, they had to shut down for two weeks because of an avian flu outbreak. So all very sad there. Gearing up for their grand reopening, welcoming everyone back. And within a, a, a couple of hours of opening the doors, they managed to lose a gibbon. Oh, mm -hmm. you see, Will, Which you can't. Well, to lose one may be regarded as misfortune, Matt, but to lose two gibbons <laughs> is, is carelessness. So they lost a gibbon. Uh, they go into lockdown, uh, sh shove all, the, all the, the customers out. Apparently workers are running around like crazy, according to an eyewitness. And then they discover, oh, there's another gibbon missing now. Um, and uh, they have to spend uh, a day and a night darting them uh, and getting them back inside and then uh, finally able to reopen the next day. Oh, I mean, it doesn't get... I mean, it's partly because Gibbon is such a funny name. I think that helps. <laughs> if it had been a less interesting animal, can I not give the Gibbon... I can't... Zoo reopens after two weeks and immediately loses not one but two Gibbons. I think that's got to get the four points, Will. Uh, putting England even further ahead. Uh, we'll give the dog, if we're, just because we're rewarding animal stories, we'll give the dog three points because we like the dog being reunited. The pen for King Charles is very good, but Helen, you're getting only one point for bringing me the news that, that gin and tonics are, are not healthy. That is that is sad news. Although I imagine they could do with a stiff drink at Peyton Zoo. Um, lovely to speak to you all. Thank you for that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was uh, Disunited Kingdom. Uh, we bring you political news from the four corners of the UK. We had Will Humphreys, who's the Southwest and Countryside correspondent for the Times, uh, flying the flag for England. Liz Perkins was in Wales. Helen Puttock, health reporter for the Times in Scotland, uh, was in Scotland. And Kiva Queen, our colleague from our sister station, U105, was in Belfast, uh, representing Northern Ireland. And, uh, yeah, England pulling well ahead now in the most fun. I know England and Scotland very close. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, I mean, it literally doesn't matter. But anyway, that's the beauty of it. It's my favourite bit. Of, it's my favourite bit of the show. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from? <laughs> 